All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Why did he lead them? Look what it says. To humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. God says, I did this to you. I caused these emergencies, these tragedies, these experiences to come upon you, to humble you, to make you realize your total worthlessness in yourself, your total inability to care for yourself, and to try your heart to see if you really love me or you're just using me as a means of escape from something. Verse 3, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know what, that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. He said, I fed you those things to make you realize that that's where your life comes from, is from me. Not from your hands, not from your knowledge, not from your talents and abilities. It comes from me. And if I didn't provide it, you would have starved. Verse 4, Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vine and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. God was saying, now I'm getting ready to take you into this land. And the tendency is when you get there is you're going to have all your needs supplied and your tendency is you're not going to remember me. You're going to forget the admonitions that I've given you and I'm trying to warn you to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understandings in all your ways acknowledge me that I might direct your path. Don't forget that I am still your source. I have given it to you. I can take it away. Job said, uh, the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever God gives, God can take away. He says, remember that. Don't forsake me. Don't become self-dependent. Constantly realize that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is your source of strength. He began to warn them concerning prosperity. Getting things and then ceasing to depend upon the Lord. You know, there's quite a few scriptural warnings about self-sufficiency. Many of them speak about in the financial aspect of it, but they're based upon the fact that we do not dare at any time become self-sufficient where we don't need God for everything, every breath we breathe, everything we possess. Let me just read a few scripture verses to you. If you want to write them down and look them up later, I'll just go through them quickly. The warnings concerning being rich. You can turn to the first one if you want to in Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus had just finished speaking to the rich young ruler who had come to him and wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. 
And the scripture says that Jesus finally said, if you'll, be, if you'll be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, Jesus was not advocating that every rich person on earth was supposed to give away everything that they had, but Jesus knew that that was that young man's God. And when Jesus said that, he had said before that, he said, why, well, I've done, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And then Jesus, knowing what was in his heart, he said, well, if that's the case, and you don't covet, which is one of the commandments, why don't you take all that you've got and just give it to the poor and come and follow me? And like a dagger, it went right into that young man's heart because that was the area where he had set up his own throne and his own God and lifted it above the living God. And it's, the scripture says he turned around and went away sorrowful. Now look what Jesus said in verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then shall be saved? I better read verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He said it's virtually impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It is possible because with God all things are possible. But what he was trying to emphasize here is that it's, it's not because God's against rich men, but it's because rich men begin to depend upon their riches. And God has to bring us to that point where, first of all, we understand totally, we have all comprehension that he is our total source and without him we're nothing. And if he were to say tomorrow, give it all up, we'd say it's yours, Lord. Let me just read quickly to you now. Psalm 62.10 If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Psalm 11:28 He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Matthew 13:22 Jesus gives the four types of soil. And the third one was the type of soil with the thorns and the thistles. This one is he that heareth the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. 1 Timothy 6 verses 17 through 19 Charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. It says by doing this they will be storing up real treasures for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. Paul speaking to Timothy says, warn those people who are depending on their riches, who don't need me every day because they've got their money to pay their bills and go to the doctor and go to the dentist and to buy the new car and to have the nice house and have all the utilities paid. Tell them to recognize that that is not security. I'm their only security. Philippians 4.19, this should be the confession of every Christian, whether rich or poor, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Look at Proverbs, the 30th chapter with me, and you'll see Solomon's solution to this whole matter in his prayer to God. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Now listen. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor, and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. Solomon said, Lord, don't let me get too rich, and Lord, don't let me get too poor. 
I never want to get to a place where I don't have to depend on you for everything, and I never want to get to a place where I have to steal. And that's where I believe, Lord, you can keep me in the best walk with you. Now, because he had that attitude, God was able to make him the richest man on the face of the earth. But that was his solution to the problem. Turn over to Jeremiah with me, the ninth chapter. This is Jeremiah's solution. Beginning with verse 23, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight saith the Lord. Don't glory in your wisdom. Don't glory in your might. Don't glory in your riches. But glory in me that you know the God that is your source. And the real tragedy is today many, many times we tend to forget the Lord when our needs are all met. And God says then when that happens you've lost your first love because that first love was based upon your total awareness of your need of me in your life. And I want to ask you today, are you just as consciously aware of the fact that God loves you, that God has a plan for your life, God has a purpose for your life, and that he has given to you these things in your life with a definite purpose behind it? He said, I did it to humble you. I did it to chasten you. I did it to bring you to an understanding that I'm your source. He said, now don't lose your first love. Get back to that first love. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He will, he will, he will direct your path. But when we don't need him, mark it down, we've lost our first love. Have we lost our first love? Tonight I'm going to talk about how different things in our Christian walk can either cause us pride or it can cause us humility. It can either cause us victory or cause us defeat. But they can also be areas where we can very quickly lose our first love. And if we get to it tonight, I, wanna, I want you to bring a notebook and paper because I'm going to give you 12 specific ways in which you can see if you have really lost your first love for the Lord. Now, if we have, we have to do what he said to the church of Ephesus. He says, now repent and return. Get back to where you were. Lest I come and take the candlestick away. And the tragedy is he warned the churches of Asia Minor, but there's not a one of them standing today because they didn't heed the warning of God. We talked this morning about how we lose our first love. And I declared to you this morning that that comes about by losing our sense of desperately needing God in every situation of life. How that once we have our needs met, once God answers prayer, and we begin to build up a little reserve, we tend not to sense that desperate need for God's divine guidance in every decision, in every move, in every act and thought. Tonight I want to talk to you and just share with you about that in, in several different areas of our life. For example, if a physical need arises, we have no difficulty praying immediately. Oh God, I have this physical need. Will you please help me meet that need? And I think what God is trying to say to us through this when we're talking about a first love is that we might be more sensitive in other areas. For example, when it comes to spiritual needs in our lives. This morning we read in the back of our hymnal from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, which is the love chapter. 
And I sensed as I've been studying this that I need to go back to 1 Corinthians 13 more often and read the verses there and say, Lord, make me to be sensitive to spiritual needs in my life, not just physical needs. For example, turn with me to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians and let's take a look at it. I'm just going to skip down through it. I haven't done it on my own yet. I want to do it with you just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Now, if you and I smack our hand with a hammer, we immediately begin to praise the Lord and believe God for healing and trust the Lord for it. If we have a financial problem, we immediately begin to confess that God's going to meet our needs. But we should be sensitive to whether or not we have spiritual needs. Many times we just pass over them as, well, that's just part of my nature. But the Word says that we have received a new nature in Jesus Christ, and these things ought not to be because we have the mind of the Spirit, and we're to think on things that are true and honest and just and pure and holy and of good report. I'm just going to skip down through there now to the fourth verse. Love is patient or suffers long. Lord, am I really patient? Lord, if I'm not patient, I'm turning to you and I'm committing that impatience to you and asking you to take it from me and cause me to know the patience that comes through trusting Christ and His life flowing through me. Love is kind. Lord, am I really kind to other people around me? And let the Holy Spirit quicken our hearts. Am I, Lord... Let me just remember this past day that the people I've come in contact with, have I really genuinely been kind? If not, you said, if I have all these other gifts and don't have love, I'm as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge and have not love, I'm nothing. So Lord, am I really kind? Do I really have the love of Christ permeating and controlling my being to where when I'm around other people, there's kindness that comes out of me? Love envies not. Lord, do I envy someone else? Do I look at someone else and say, boy, I just wish I had what they've got or I wish I could do what they can do? Lord, that's a spiritual need in my life. And you know, the more we become aware of this and the more we begin to search out these things, we begin to depend upon the Lord again all over again. Oh, we may not cuss and swear and chew and dance and drink and do that with what some of the rest of them do, but are we these? Do we have these elements within our lives? Are these things evident in our lives? Love vaunteth not itself. In other words, it doesn't puff itself up, lift itself up, feel it's better than someone else. Do people, when they're around us, sense uh, a spirit of arrogance or pride? Like, if you want the last answer, come to me because I've got it. If I don't, I can get it. If I call upon myself a little stronger, you know. Does not behave itself unseemly. Lord, do I behave myself unseemly to where when people look at me, they have difficulty seeing Jesus Christ? Do I get a little bit coarse and and rough in my jokes and in my stories and in my actions? Trying to be the center of attraction sometimes and I'm not behaving myself in a proper way? Love is not selfish. It seeketh not her own. You see what I'm talking about spiritually? The spiritual needs? Many times we would tend to put those things back and say, Oh God, give me this, this opportunity as minister and I want to be a prophet and I want to be a teacher and I want to be all these things. And God says, Let's get concerned about the spiritual needs in your life. As they're cleared up, these things will automatically manifest themselves. It's not easily provoked. Lord, why is it every time I'm around that certain person, they know right how to ring my bell? Man, they know right where that panic button is. They hit it every time I come around. Why is that, Lord? And begin to, Lord, I'm just... Uh, and you see what happens? All of a sudden we're saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I really need you in another area of my life. And that's when that love begins to well up again. God, I thank you that you've promised you're going to deliver me and set me free from these things. 
Think of no evil. Lord, renew my mind today. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Did you hear about such and such? And the garbage can lid comes off? No. Oh. Now, I just told you that to pray about it. You, you understand that, don't you? Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now, you see, that's just a little study in itself. To, this is what God is saying to us. Not only should we be concerned about physical needs, if we want to have to go back to depending on the Lord with that first love, we bring all these things up before Him and begin to search the Word and find spiritual needs. Mental needs, our thought life. Am I thinking and am I, is my mind upon the Lord as it ought to be? Or am I full of frustration and fear and tension and unworthiness and, and, and all these things that ought not to be there when the Word says, Thou wilt keep him in consternation whose mind is stayed upon thee. No, what was that? What kind of peace? Perfect peace. Thou wilt keep it. Is your mind in perfect peace? If it isn't, then you have a need to bring to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you said thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. My mind has not been in perfect peace. What am I doing in my wrong thinking? Am I thinking things that are true and honest and just and pure and holy and of good report? Is there virtue and is there praise in them? If not, Lord, I refuse in the name of Jesus to think on those things anymore. Lord, I'm going to trust you now for a deliverance from those thoughts and I'm going to begin to direct my thoughts toward you and I'm going to begin to memorize verses of praise and victory and that's going, what I'm going to think on. And when it comes to emotional needs, you know, when I was a new Christian, and this is the thing the Lord spoke to me about, he says, you know, when you were a new Christian working down there at the flour mill, you brought all these things to me. You'd even break down and cry, Lord, I don't want to think those thoughts. Lord, I don't want to act that way. Lord, I don't want to say those things. In fact, he says there are many times you'd go right back to those workers with tears in your eyes and say, will you please forgive me for getting upset with you a while ago? I didn't mean to do that. First love. Nowadays, we tend to say, well, in my position, you know, I have a little bit of a right to do something. You know, they need to be put in their place once in a while. You know, I have needs. I have needs. Emotional needs. Where am I putting other people in my life? Now, this is very important. If it's your husband or your wife, your daughter, your son, your parents, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your fiance, whatever it is, if you ever... I wish I could write this in indelible ink right across this wall. If you ever put them before the Lord, the Lord will take them away from you. Or you'll lose spiritual victory just as sure as night follows day. Because the Lord says he'll have no other gods before him, before you. Nothing can come before the Lord. He always has to be first. Oh, but I just can't lose them. You already have. I'd rather lose them than the Lord. And he says, I have to be Lord of all. You put me first and I may take those things away from you and later on you'll look back and say, oh, I thank God for that. The Word says, if you give all your desires to the Lord, He'll give you the very best. And many, many times I see people saying, well, Lord, I'll follow you, but just give me this. And God says, I don't want you to have that. But Lord, I know that'll make me happy. And God says, I don't want you to have that. And He says that if you'll let Him give you the desires of His heart rather than the desires of your heart, that you'll be blessed. And if you've got areas of your life where you're beginning to see that something else is taking over the, the, the first place in your life, then that's a need that you need to bring to the Lord. 
For Jesus said, If any man comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and his own life also, he can't be my disciple. So I come down to the final point there of a spiritual need, emotional need, and that is, is Jesus Christ first even over your desires, your own personal desires? Well, I want to go and get this degree and second degree and third degree and fourth degree and whatever it is. I want to get these things because I... Is that what the Lord wants? Well, we're going to get engaged and get married and go do... Well, that's fine. Is that what the Lord wants? Well, I know God will bless it. Well, no, is that what the Lord wants? Is that God's perfect will? Is that the very best for your life? Well, now, this can be carried to ridiculous ends, you know. I mean, uh, we, we, just, we, we really sense that uh, it's, we've had a good time and so forth. Husband saying, well, I, I feel we should just move off to thus and such a place. Well, that's great. Is that what the Lord wants you to do? You see, he says, once you come to me and make me Lord, you don't say, well, tomorrow we're going to go do thus and such. What do we say? The Lord willing. Tomorrow we will go do thus and such. And that must be the constant motivation of our lives. And that's why God says, if you keep your first love, you will come to me with every infinitesimal problem and need and speculation you have in your heart and life. And that's what he said to Ephesus. He says, you've learned how to do all these good things. You're hard workers. You hate evil. You won't do any of the things that you ought not to do. But you've left your first love. Now repent and come back. What does he mean? You don't come to me with all your problems anymore. Second area of prayer is being more sensitive to other people's needs. I can still remember when, and I thank God it hasn't gone completely away, but when people have told me needs that they had, I remember as a new Christian, I'd sit there with tears in my eyes. And then I'd pray with them and I'd remember them in prayer. And later on when I'd see them, I'd say, how's that thing going along? Did you ever experience that? You know, it's impossible to continue and keep your first love toward the Lord if you aren't sensitive toward the needs of others because he says we owe a debt of love to other people. And when other people come with burdens and needs, we're with the love of Christ, we're to lift them up and to uphold them and to strengthen them and to encourage them. When was the last time you and I have cried over somebody else's burden in prayer? Somebody else had a need and we went to the Lord in prayer about it and we broke down and wept before the Lord over that need. When was the last time? Now if you and I have a need, it's not hard at all to break down in prayer, is it? And cry in prayer. Oh God, don't you hear me at all? But I, I just want to, I just want to prick your heart a little bit and ask you: When was the last time that we have really broken down and wept over the needs and the problems and the burdens of another brother or sister in Christ? That's an evidence of the first love when we do that. Being sensitive to other people's problems. And the more sensitive we are, the more we're going to pray intercessory prayers. But how many times do we just carry in our hearts intercessory requests to God for other brothers and sisters in Christ? And then the third aspect of it would be that the more we see answers to prayer, the more it's going to cause us to give thanksgiving to the Lord. And that's why David has the Psalms there, you know. For bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless his holy name, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, and on down the line. Just one verse after another. Praise, 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 praise. Why? Because David saw answers to prayer. Why? Because David interceded in prayer. Because David wept over the needs of others. He said, when my brothers and others around me were sick, he said, Lord, I put on sackcloth and ashes, and I wept and fasted day and night. And I praised you when the answers to prayer came. And because the answers to prayer came, he had psalms of praise. 
and thanksgiving and testimonies to others of what the Lord's done. You know, sometimes I wonder, maybe the reason we don't have testimonies is because God is not answering any prayers in our life. We're not seeing any miracles happen in our life. And if we're not, then it behooves us to get on our face and say, Oh, God, put prayers into my heart for needs in my life that I can get up and testify to others that God still answers prayer. You know why I want to be filled with praise? I want to be a praising Christian? Because the Lord dwells in the midst of the praises of his people. And if I'm praising, I know he's close. And I don't want to get very far away from the Lord. So if you have no other reason under the sun to praise the Lord than that, there's reason enough. But you see, we can't find reasons to praise the Lord if we haven't come to Him with needs and have seen His answers to prayer. We haven't come in intercession and seen Him work miracles in the lives of our friends and our loved ones. It's impossible for us to praise the Lord like we ought to and give testimony to the fact that He's alive yet. You see, the problem again, let me share you, is if, if we come to the place where we're secure, we're well-fed, you know this morning I gave you all those verses about warn those that are rich, then we... We sense that we can avoid sometimes the consequences of breaking God's standards and, and not having to stay as close to Him. Well, I mean, you know, I used to have to do it because I, I really needed my monthly bills to be paid. I really needed to have that car payment taken care of. And, and when we come to the place that we don't have those needs anymore, physical needs now I'm talking about, and we, we just forget about our spiritual and mental and, and emotional needs and, and don't stay close to the Lord, well, then we begin to lose our fear of the Lord. Because, well, I mean, we're going to make it through. I mean, we've got the money in the bank. We've got this money taken care of. I, everything's paid for. The house is paid for. The car is paid for. You know, really, I'm just grateful to the Lord. All those things are paid for, but I, I don't have to worry about those things slipping back now. And consequently, we gradually become bold sometimes in our disobedience. That's when, when coldness comes in, when first love begins to move out. We become bold in our disobedience. We don't get into the Word as much as we once did get into the Word. We don't meditate on the Word. We don't go through this self-examination that I just gave you an example of there in 1 Corinthians 13. We spend less time in private, personal prayer before the Lord, seeking His face, doing an introspection. We seek and have less time amongst God's people. We don't need that anymore. Well, we used to because, man, I was really going through desperate times at one time and, you know, God had to set me free from this and that and the other thing and I, I just didn't know I was going to make it. But now that isn't a problem as much anymore. You see, things have kind of leveled off and so I really don't have to be there. I don't want to get into bondage and legalism and every time the church doors open, I have to be there. That's evidence of first love moving away because now, you know, we're, we're going to make it. We're, we're pretty well stabilized now. It's, it's going to be all right. We find a tendency to let up on our giving to the Lord's work. You know, I've known people in the past and they're new Christians just give and give and hilarious givers. And after a while, I see that first love begin to diminish and tithe check one week, maybe a special offering a couple weeks later and then they'll go for several weeks at a time and no tithe. And, well, they'll throw in another check once in a while. You see, this, this is evidence to me that there's a spiritual problem. It's part of the thermometer that you put in their mouth. It's just a spiritual problem. It's just another aspect of it. Our giving. It's a whole home attitude. Instead of Paul saying you should be just an absolute hilarious giver. It's the most exciting thing in the world to know God has given to me so that I can give. I receive that I might give, that I might receive, that I might give. And this is the, the program of getting into God flowing in God's economy. I didn't say that. Paul said it. And when our daily needs are met, we tend to become ungrateful. 
I think it was Derek Prince who said that a man over in England one time walked up to the door of a couple who were having a kind of a financial struggle. He walked to the door and gave them, I don't know what it is in English, we'll say uh, $50. And turned around and walked away. They said, what's this for? And they said, he says, just yours and left. And he came the next week, knocked on the door, gave them $50. And walked away. They said, what are you doing? They said, just yours. And third week, fourth week, fifth week, he did it for several months. And then one Monday, as they were standing in the house waiting for him to come, because he always came at a certain time, they were waiting for him to come again. This week, they saw him come up the street, pass their sidewalk, go to the next door neighbor, walk up and give their neighbor $50, and turn around and walk away. And he started back down the street, and they came out and said, hey, where's our $50? And he said, what $50? The $50 you're supposed to bring us today. And he said, they didn't realize that they had stepped from the area of gratefulness for what they were receiving to the area of selfishness and ungratefulness for what now they expected. Now it was our $50. Where's our $50? And that's what happens in the lives of many Christians when they come to this place of which Jesus was speaking of the church of Ephesus. They had stepped out of the area of gratefulness into the area of expectancy and selfishness. That's mine. It belongs to me. And so they quit depending on the Lord and begin to depend on their own abilities and their own wisdom and their own strength and their own resources, whether it be talents or bank accounts or job or whatever it might be. And that's why I tell you time and time again, don't ever let these things be your source. If you do, you've put yourself in a box. Make God your source. Keep God as your source. Let Him know all your needs. He is your supply. And you see, the end result of all this is we begin to expect our money to do what God is supposed to do and what God wants to do in our lives. When we begin to make that our source, we expect it to do these things, these material things, to do for us what God wants to do. And before long, money, or as the Word of God in the King James calls it, mammon, becomes our God. And we come into a very dangerous position because we begin to build our life around our money and our possessions. That's why the Word puts all these warnings in there. Now, when I talk about money, I'm not talking about the people that have $100,000. I'm talking about a person that has a dollar and a quarter. If their heart is laid upon that dollar and a quarter, they're just as guilty of it as the millionaire. Their dependence is in the wrong position. Now, let me show you what I'm saying. When they come to that place where money becomes their God and then problems come around that are, that are beyond their resources, goes beyond their source, that goes beyond to threaten their security, inflation, recession, depression, whatever it might be, sickness, begins to expose their weaknesses, what happens? They go to the phone and they dial a friend or they dial a preacher and say, pray, oh pray, I'm just so full of fear, everything's just falling down around my feet. What happened? I think that fear can be a signal that something has happened in our life, that we've transferred our dependence from God over to some other source, something or to someone else. When fear enters into the life of a believer, it's an evidence that we have transferred our faith from him to something or someone else. And it's a signal that God's getting ready to remove another God out of our life. Whenever fear comes into your heart or mind, we should step back and say, Lord, I think Bill Gothard puts it this way, what rights are being violated in my life? What right have I set up before you and said you can come this far and no further? You can invade my privacy this far, but there's a wall, and don't stick your nose over that wall. 
And when fear comes into our life and insecurity comes into our life and we're suddenly saying, oh, I've got to find God in this matter, it's just evidence that God's saying there's another God there that I'm going to remove out of your life. And I'm going to restore in your life a sense of need for me because God says that's what I want you to do. I want you to trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and lean not unto your own understanding. He said, when I can bring you to that place, children of Israel, I don't want you to look at that sand out there because you can't plant anything in it. I don't want you to try to build houses out there because you can't build houses out of sand and there are no trees. I want you to make me your habitation. And when you learn to do that, then we'll begin to do some things together. But when I bring you out of this, this classroom and send you back into the land that's flowing with milk and honey, don't you forget me then. That's the danger time. Are you experiencing a fear in your life today? No, no fears yet. Is there anything in your life that if God were to lay his finger on it right about now and say, I want that, would it create fear? Any person in your life where he says, I want that, that it creates fear? Think about it. God is saying, that's a false God that I want to remove out of your life because perfect love casteth out fear. And if we have that first love, we have perfect love, don't we? Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down as the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, and so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. When? When you trust in the Lord. When? When you wait on the Lord. When? When you don't be envious of those around you that are in the world. Your trust and your eyes are upon the Lord continually. He says, then you'll be fed and you'll stay in the land. Even during times of famine, you'll be kept. We're going to talk next Sunday morning about spiritual disciplines in first love. Spiritual disciplines in first love. I hope that some of these things that I'm sharing with you will just challenge your heart to begin to go back and say, Lord... Let me begin to seek out, search out the needs in my life so that I can begin to bring to you all these needs and restore that relationship with you I once had. Lord, I've come to the place of just being content where I am. And I want to go further. I want to go deeper. I want to go wider. I want to get stronger in the things of the Lord. Is that the desire of your heart? I believe God knows that that's the desire of every believer's heart. He knows our thoughts are far off. Now, he says a proud and a haughty spirit he despises, but a broken and a contrite spirit he will not despise. And if we'll come to the Lord and say, Lord, I told you when I came to you that I gave you my whole life, but I've tended to take some of it back, and I've more or less started depending on other sources, but I just confess to you tonight that I need you desperately in my life. And I'm going to seek your face, and I am going to meet you in a manner similar to that time when I first met you when I depended on you for everything. I believe we're going to see real renewal in our hearts and lives as we get back into prayer and ask God to begin to lay on our hearts the needs in other people's lives and we begin to bear the needs of one another here. Do you really love everyone in this body? When is the last time we've prayed for the different ones and the different needs in this body? And I mean really earnestly sought God's face on it. God has laid something on my heart lately. You know, I have a spindle at home with all the families, name, address, telephone number on it. 
And it's been a real blessing to me from time to time now to set that in front of me while I'm in the study and just flick it over card after card and just pray for each family and each person in that family. But you know something? I need to have God break my heart more. I need to have that probing of the Holy Spirit in my heart and life more too that I'll get more earnest in my praying. Because there's a real tendency in the life of pastors also not to keep that first love because we get so busy and so involved in all these extra things on the outside that I need your prayers in my behalf that God will set my heart on fire like it's never been on fire before and that we'll begin to believe God for a real revival this coming fall. I believe it'll come. He said, if my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. God, God, I need you. I need you like I've never needed you before and I didn't know it until now. Lord, I need you. Lord, wash me and fill me and cleanse me. He said, I won't despise that attitude. God, help us to let that become the attitude of our hearts and minds and to believe God to do a new work in our hearts. Amen.